0: He, he heard the announcement about his Bible and he's trying to find it. <laughs> That's all right. Yeah, it just puts a smile on my face, anyway. I, I just love seeing the young people having a heart for the Lord, you know, when they're young especially of especially of that age, a lot of them are very, very enthusiastic about Jesus Christ. They're convinced. and But every day that goes by, every moment of every day, they're bombarded. They're bombarded with Satan's lies. They're bombarded with the attack from within of their flesh, trying to convince them that God's not worth trusting, that God's truth isn't true that there's something else better out there and you've been facing that for your whole life too from the very beginning to right now. And I think sometimes as people think about the hope of going to be with the Lord, sometimes it's just fatigue. It's just fatigue that sets in of um, just getting worn out from this fight. That, that constant battle where we know where our eyes need to be, we know where our focus needs to be, and it's just an unrelenting spiritual battle to get our eyes somewhere else. But when you see the young people on fire or just excited in their faith, as you think about this camp that's going to be starting next Saturday, that come out and visit if you've never been there. I mean some of you come out once in a while and say say hi or visit. If you've got some kids out there or grandkids out there, or just if you've never seen it before, come out during the evening service and just see the joy of the Lord on their faces as they can get away from everything else for a bit the counselors that are there can get away from it and they can just enjoy the lord and just be excited about who he is and who they are to him so it's good to be reminded of this it's going to be the subject of our message even this morning but it's good to be reminded that we need to embrace we need to embrace god's truth and embrace him and want to live life with him as opposed to distancing ourselves from Him, or we're never going to know the joy of the Lord. We're just going to be going through life just constantly unhappy and unfulfilled and unsatisfied because the world that captivates our attention, it seems like it will do all those things, but then it doesn't follow through. It advertises a bill of goods that it can't deliver on. And so when we go down that road, whatever day it is, whatever moment it is, thinking, well, there's, the promise is that this is going to satisfy, but it never does. And how many times are we going to fall for <laughs> that same lie and only to find out time and time again it doesn't, it doesn't satisfy? So in any event, I'll never get done on time if I keep up with these pre-sermons. <laughs> Let's start with a word of prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, Thank you for this time we can gather together. Thank you for your word. Thank you that you give us a source of foundation, a place to find our anchor, to find our footing, to know, to have a sight line of the horizon, a compass, a guide that can give us direction in our lives. Pray that we would embrace it. Pray that we would welcome your word into our lives and that we would prioritize hearing from you that we would prioritize talking to you and communicating to you and then prioritize hearing from you. And we know that your primary means of doing that is through your word and the teaching of it, the, the memorization of it, the contemplation of it, the singing of words that are consistent with it. We know that that's what you want our minds to be renewed by. By your truth. Pray that we would see that in a world full of lies amidst self-deception from within trying to deceive us from within. Pray that we would see that your truth is where we have to find our bearing. Pray that that could be communicated clearly this morning, that you'd give me wisdom as I speak so that what is said would be accurate. Pray for those that are here that are struggling with hard things, with difficult things, the things of this life that, frankly, are challenging. Pray that they would find their hope and their confidence, that they would find their strength and their comfort and their encouragement. They would find their, their path forward in you, that they, we would get our eyes on you and not the storms that we're going through, not our circumstances, not ourselves, but you. Help that to be true of each and every person here this morning, that you could captivate them, get their focus on you so that they could weather life's trials and storms in a way that would be a reflection of you into the darkness and the hard things so that you would be exalted and lifted up even in the face of those difficulties. Pray for the unsaved in our community around us. Pray that we could be ambassadors to them, that we could be a reflection of your love and your light and your goodness into their lives. Pray that we would have a concern and a burden for them, even thinking about this evangelistic outreach at the fair that's coming up here starting in the next week pray that you'd just undertake for those details that you'd even convince people that it's a cause worth investing in and that they'd be willing to even t- take a stab at it if they haven't done it before that they could see how it's done here this afternoon after church and that they'd be maybe wanting to just even observe other people do it and then maybe try sharing the gospel with their neighbors in this community through that fair outreach this coming week. Just pray that we wouldn't do anything out of a sense of obligation or guilt, but we'd do it as moved and led and directed by your spirit. Pray for the young people that I was just mentioning before the service. Pray for each and every one of them that they wouldn't lose their first love, that they would learn to love you as you love them and that they would stick with them as they go into their teenage years, that they wouldn't be the kind of young people that are gone the moment they're not forced to come to church and we never see them again. Pray that they would be the kind of young people that you could Convince them that you're real and that you could stay real to them as they age and they go through life, that you could uh, stay front and center in their thinking even as they go through and transition through some of those times in life where people tend to get shaken and get sort of lost along the way. Pray that you'd bring back and you'd convince those that haven't been thinking about you, haven't been including you, haven't been making time for you, but they know better. Pray that you'd convince them of that that you would bring them to a place where their eyes are focused back on you and that if that's us this morning, that you'd help to change our thinking too. Thank you for your great love with which you loved us and were willing to sacrifice and die in our place be buried and rise again so that we could have new life in you. Pray that we would see there's nothing we can do to earn your love or your grace, but we would accept it as a free gift knowing that the moment we put our trust in you, we're born into your family and you say that you'll never let us go and that we can know that we have eternal life. Thank you for these truths. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, as you can see from our screen here this morning, the title of this morning's sermon is Welcoming God's Word. Welcoming God's Word. And to welcome something or someone involves accepting or embracing it or them. So as you think about being welcoming, it's having this, you're accepting them. You're embracing them if it's a person. If it's a thing, you're accepting it. You're embracing it. And people commonly welcome things into their... Homes and their lives. As I was thinking about this phrase that comes out in our passage this morning about welcoming God's word into our lives, that idea of welcoming people and things into our homes and into our lives—that's something that is common. It, it sometimes occurs consciously and other times unconsciously. Sometimes it's something that you're doing intentionally, where you're intentionally welcoming something into your home or into your life. and other times, you're not being—you're being unintentional about it, but it's happening nonetheless. You're, by virtue of choices that you're making and not distancing yourself from this particular thing or person, you've now welcomed them into your life. You've welcomed them into your home at times. Other times when you think about it, uh, these things that are being welcomed into your home, sometimes it's done probably according to what I would say is the biblical model, where it's done prayerfully, it's done thoughtfully, it's done carefully, but other times it's not. You're welcoming things into your life. You're allowing, and here's the key, the kicker, you're allowing things to now have influence on your life because you've given them access to your thinking. You've given them access to you. You're living life in close proximity to those things. You've welcomed them into your life and you haven't thought about it at all. You haven't been careful about it at all. You haven't been prayerful about it at all. Not recognizing, though, that each one of those choices whether, again, conscious or unconscious, intentional or unintentional, each thing that is welcomed into your life or is brought into your life, each one of those things has the opportunity to now affect you and to influence your thinking. So some of those things turn out to be beneficial and good and helpful to your life. And some of them turn out to be very, very detrimental and bad, unhelpful to your life. And you could probably, I didn't spend a lot of time thinking of examples, so probably whichever ones I would come up with weren't, wouldn't be necessarily great, but as you think about the things you've welcomed into your life, let's think about something that maybe you didn't put a lot of thought into. Maybe, maybe you did, but I know that in many instances, uh, people who I've talked to, they didn't necessarily put a lot of thought into it, but let's just consider one thing. Um, first thing that comes to my mind because it's something that I I struggle with spending too much time on it myself is a cell phone. Now, how did a cell phone get into your life? Well, nobody came up to you and pinned you down to the pavement and shoved it into your pocket and said, you must have this. Now, some of you are saying, well, that's not entirely true. Um, What happened was I had a job and the job required me to, they said, you have to have this cell phone. Maybe that's true in a limited number of cases, but most of the time we're talking about something that you welcomed into your life without thinking about it maybe all that much, and now it has access to you. It now has the opportunity to influence you. Not just the device itself per se, but the sources of information and the sources of access that are made possible The types of access that are made possible by this device in your life. Now think about some of you young people, some of you younger teenagers that are here that are in 10th through 12th grade. Ask yourself, how impactful has that been on my life? Has uh, Has it had an impact on me? Has it influenced me in some ways? Now ask yourself, and I want you to be honest, has it been positive and helpful? Or has it been primarily, if I had to put it on a sliding scale, where would it fall? On this scale, this is very detrimental and this is very positive. On the scale of what benefit it's been to you, where would we put that sliding? I suspect it's been more detrimental to you than positive. It's something that I think in our current culture, I think it's something that I've been convinced that to be praying about. How can you just learn to leave it behind? How can you learn to, even when you come home from school, you come home from work, how can you learn to just throw it in your dresser drawer and leave it there? You actually have to take intentional steps to do it because it's something that becomes a part of a part of your routine. It becomes a habit that's really hard to break. And so if it's always there, it's always kind of calling. It's like a siren song. You know, it's like this idea of just calling you to disaster really, but can you, can you set it apart and, and utilize it in ways that would be beneficial. Now, are there beneficial aspects to that connectivity, to that access that you have to people, the access you have to certain kinds of information? Are there positive things you have access to? The answer is yes. On, on a lighter note, that's just something to think about food for thought. It's something that really, I think, is one of the primary battles that people are facing in our world. A lot of it is tied to information sources. And which ones are you giving access to your mind? This is the one God wants you. We're going to, it'll come out in the message if we get to it. Uh, uh, <laughs> this is the one God wants you to give access to your mind. This is the one God wants you to bring into your home and welcome into your life. This is the one that can positively influence and help you. So that's just one example. Other, other examples, you might think of a things that you've allowed or welcomed into your life. Sometimes it's a friendship, Right? Sometimes it's a person that you have, sometimes without really trying too much, it just sort of happened that you ended up spending time with this person. You found you had a few things in common. Next thing you know, you're, you're, you're invited to the same things or you start to hang out, and all of a sudden you have this new friend in your life. As that, that happens, right? That's how that happens. Now, sometimes that person, though, that's now you've welcomed them, you've given them access to influence your life. Ask yourself, be honest about each and every, like think of them on a one by one basis. How beneficial has it been to them? <laughs> how beneficial of an influence have you been in their life? And the flip side of that is how beneficial has it been to you? How beneficial have they been to you? What kind of an influence have they been on you? Has it been positive? Some of you, some of you married those people. That's on you. That's not. There's a song lyric that I used to sing to Stacia when we were younger, but the artist, he has a catchy little tune, but he says, I am the mess you chose. (laughs) And I thought that was classic. I thought that was kind of good when I heard it. I was like, you know what? Um, We have to deal with, we have to live with our choices. You know, she's been regretting it since, but (laughs) (laughs) let's not get into my marriage too much this morning. Think of other things. You can be lighthearted about this, this is not all have to be really deep. Think of things you've welcomed in your home. Say, a cute little puppy. You know, I talk about that often because I have a one and a half year old Australian Aussie doodle, Australian doodle, that barks at everyone she sees aggressively. <laughs> I'm a pastor of a church, we live at a church most of the time. It hasn't been an ideal scenario. But you welcome these pets into your home. Well, they're not doing that when they're this big. They grow up to do those things. And so, but you, you welcome it. And what kind of an effect has that had on your home? Some of you welcomed, you could can, can think of other examples. I'm doing this just off the cuff. of things that you've welcomed into your life, things that you've accepted or that you've given access to your life and not all of them have been positive that's the point some of them have we need to pray for discernment we need to think about which things are a part of our lives that we could do without he god is trying to make us aware of those things so that we could jettison the baggage and we could cling to the things that are positive and noble and good and helpful and useful and beneficial to our spiritual well-being those are the things that we want to cling to the rest of it now i'm not talking about your husband The rest of it, though, some of it can go, right? Some of it can be left behind. When you think about laying aside the weights and the sin that so easily ensnares us or besets us and running with endurance or patience the race that is set before us, what do you think it means to lay aside weights? It means to lay aside the things that are hindering us that aren't helpful to us why are we beating our heads against a wall we're doing it to ourselves why not let go of some of the things now some of it is not even people it's not even things it's past experiences that we can't let go of it's thoughts and feelings it's hurts and and difficulties that we are wallowing in and not letting go of it's failures and regrets and remorse that we can't we can't let go of We need to let go of those weights, too, so that we can do what? We can lighten the load. If you're a runner, show of hands, how many runners do we have in here today? One. We have one. Okay. (laughs) I don't blame you, friends. Uh, Running's... I ran cross-country for two years. I played football, ran cross country, went back and played football. It was the negative influence of friends that got me to run cross country for two years. (laughs) If you're a runner, if you're a walker, so I guess the rest of us are walkers. So we got one runner and, and then walkers. But if you're a walker, is it easier to walk if you're... Not carrying anything? The answer is yes. Who's tried to walk through the grocery store? You said, I'm going to the grocery store and I just need to grab two items. <laughs> You're all laughing already. You know, this, you know this story. I only need these two items. And so you walk kind of cocky, with a cocky walk and kind of confidently. You stroll right past the carts and the baskets now to go past the carts is one thing but to go past the baskets that's a level of arrogance right because now you're like i can do this it's two things and you're the guy every time you're the guy who's got 17 items <laughs> that you're trying to carry in your arms balancing them on your head your shoulders are sticking out of your pockets they think you're shoplifting you're that guy by the time you get to the register. But the truth is, it's much easier to go through life not carrying any of that stuff if it can be avoided, if it's not positive, it's not helpful, it's not, it's not contributing to your spiritual well-being. And God's saying, let go of those things. We got to that because we're talking about this idea of welcoming things in our lives. And some of them are positive, some of them are detrimental. And we think about, regardless of, of whether they're positive or netri- detrimental, they have an effect on you. One way or the other, they have an effect on you. And some of them have a great positive effect and some have a great negative effect. And obviously, it's not rocket science to figure out which ones God wants you to pursue and chase after and embrace. The ones that have that great positive effect. God wants you to welcome those things into his life. And he says that into your life. And the the thing that he says is number one on that list of positive things that he wants you to welcome into his life, into your life, is his word. I keep mixing up those words, but he wants you to welcome his word into your life. That's where we get our title here, Welcoming God's Word. And when you accept and embrace his word, it transforms you. It produces positive spiritual results in your life whenever you're presently trusting or believing it. See, to just welcome something into your life Welcome something into your home, but not appropriate it. Not utilize it. Not think about it. Not take advantage of it. Not spend time with it. Not interact with it. That doesn't benefit you at all, other than you have this thing. You have access to it. It's there. You made the right first choice where you saw some value in it, so you welcomed it into your home. But how useful is it if it sit in the corner of your home, but it's gathering dust? And you can think of things that you welcomed into your home that had the potential to be beneficial to you. Let's talk about your physical health. There were things that you welcomed into your home that had the benefit or the potential of being physically beneficial to you. Okay, I'm talking about the broccoli and the cauliflower and the exercise bike. and And it's gathering dust. It's got mold growing on it in the bottom drawer of the refrigerator. Because you welcomed it in, but you didn't appropriate it. You didn't take advantage of the potential benefit that could come from it. And God's saying, when you welcome my word into your life, if you're presently appropriating it, trusting in it, believing in it, it can transform your life. It can produce good work in your life. It can make you something that you're not. It can be useful to you. It can be effective in your life. But only if you... Believe it and appropriate it and take advantage of it. So that's what Paul's going to bring out, really these two things. One, there's value, great value to welcoming God's Word into your life. Once you've welcomed it into your life, believe it. Trust it. Appropriate it so that it can have the effect of producing or working inside of you, effectively working in your life. It can change you and transform you. So if you're the kind of person who I normally lose, those are the things to remember. That's what Paul is going to say here. And this prayer we're going to look at in First Thessalonians chapter two. So if you haven't turned there, turn there. for once, I'm there. But first Thessalonians chapter two, we're going to read verses 13 through 16, and Lord willing here, we're going to pick up the pace a little bit because it's actually quite a lot of material. Starting at verse 13 of chapter 2, though, it says, For this reason, we also thank God without ceasing. Sounds familiar, doesn't it? Because when, but what's what's the reason? What's the specific thing we thank God for? Because when you received the word of God which you heard from us, you welcomed it, not as the word of men, but as it is in truth, the word of God which also effectively works in you who believe. Those where our main focus is going to be this morning. What was the evidence of that? For you, brethren, became, what did it produce in their lives? They became imitators of the churches of God which are in Judea in Christ Jesus. For you also suffered the same things from your own countrymen just as they did from the Judeans. Now what did the Judeans do? to cause suffering. They killed both the Lord Jesus and their own prophets. That's been a history, that's a short summary of the history of the rebellion and rejection by the Jewish nation over the years of God and his truth. They killed the Lord Jesus and in the past, he's talking historically, they even killed their own prophets and have persecuted us in the present and they do not please God and are contrary to all men. Contrary in what sense that they're inhibiting or preventing the gospel message from From spreading, you see that in verse 16, they're forbidding us to speak to the Gentiles that they may be saved. So as always, to fill up the measure of their sins, that's what's stopping them from doing this. They're more focused on darkness than light. But the wrath has come upon them to the uttermost or finally, and we'll look at that later. So that's our section here this morning. Let's start with verse 13. This is where we'll spend the bulk of our time for this reason we also thank God without ceasing because when you received the word of God which you heard from us you welcomed it not as the word of men but as it is in truth the word of God which also effectively works in you who believe so we also thank God without ceasing represents another another example of expressions of gratitude being common components of Paul's conversations with God. You can say prayer, but one of the things that I don't honestly like about prayer, it's not a bad thing, it's not a big deal, it's just that prayer prayer is talking to God. It's having conversation with God. It's living life with God. One of the things that is a carryover from some of our past, some of what we've known from tradition, from I wouldn't even call it Christian tradition because a lot of it wasn't even believing in Christ. It was Christian in name only. But a lot of what we'll call even traditional Christian ways of going about things, one of the things that was filled with tradition was prayer. And so even though we were saved out from some of those Christian traditions that weren't rooted in the Bible directly we carried some of those things over into our lives and we've never really fully been able to shake them. Well, what do I mean by that? We don't have conversations with God. We don't have impromptu praying our way through the day mentality. We have more of a mentality of prayer as the sacrosanct thing that we do in very specific times in our lives. And we earmark and we box out certain ways of doing it. We, we focus on our posture. We focus on the timing. We allocate it to certain places in our day. And that's where we talk to God. And God's like, no, I want to live life with you. I don't want to live some life with you. I want to live all life with you. Now, Don't be sitting there writing, pastor says it's wrong to set aside specific times to pray. That's not what I said. I said, we don't want to ear mic, earmark or limit God to we're only going to talk to Him in these specific times. Yes, sometimes you, in order to be effective at praying, you have to be intentional about saying, I'm going to block out this period of time so that I'm not distracted by everything else that's going on. That might be very necessary and very useful. It just shouldn't be the only time that we think about prayer in these compartmentalized ways. We want to think about prayer in the sense of I'm walking and talking and living life with God every moment of every day. He's with me all of the time. And I'm sharing and engaging and involving him. That's the word I was looking for. I'm involving him in my life. So again, we talked about it a number of lessons earlier, but this idea that Paul brought out, even in his prayers, this idea of praying without ceasing, this idea of praying your way through the day. And so that's what Paul is talking about here. Again, we have this reminder that a critical or a normal component of his prayers that we're seeing, though, are these expressions of gratitude as he has this conversation with God. He keeps talking to God. And He says without ceasing, but that's just referring to a mentality of continuing regularity. This idea that I'm consistently talking to God, and one of the things that is becoming a part of that is that I'm expressing gratitude. Now think about your own life, because what should the takeaway here be? The takeaway, because it's been covered over and over again, is believers have a lot to be thankful for. That's the part you have to start with. You'd never get to the part where you're thanking God or expressing gratitude to God without ceasing or with continuing regularity. You'd never get to that unless you recognize how blessed you are. You are blessed. There's a song that we've been thinking about doing. We are going to do it at camp first. We, just so you know, we do try out some of the stuff on young people first. But there's a song that says, I'm so blessed. I'm so blessed. Got this heartbeat in my chest. He says, on my best days, I'm a child of God. On my worst days, I'm a child of God. Oh, every day is a good day, and you're the reason why. Now, you might not like the style of it, the beat of it, what have you, but what a song. I'm so blessed. You need to live in light of your blessings once you get the hang of that and you see I'm blessed beyond measure and it's not just one day that happened, it's every day uh, that I'm breathing air, I am blessed beyond measure. I have every spiritual blessing. That's what God has poured out on me because he loved me so much and he was so good. My life is blessed. Okay, that's part one. That should then create or result in Attitude of gratitude that would be expressed when (laughs) to the one who's making that possible in your life. Who is that? God. So when you would talk to him, you would say, What? Thank you. Thank you. But you, you notice that sequence of events? You'd have to realize you are blessed. You'd have to, this is a tricky one, you'd have to see other believers as a blessing. once you saw them as a blessing, you could thank God for the, what, the, what He's doing in their lives, for how He's impacting them, how He's pouring Himself into their lives and working with them and bringing about changes and He's using them. Then you could celebrate that too. And you could have gratitude for that. So again, for this reason, we thank God without ceasing. It's not just a general thankfulness. It's a specific thankfulness about these particular, for these particular believers and about what God is doing in their lives. Now let's look at the two specific reasons that are given for Paul's continual thanksgiving. They're really, it's really one more than two. It's two ways of saying, in many ways, the same thing. So what does it say here? He says, for this reason, we also thank God without ceasing because, and now here's our reason, because they received the word of God when they heard it from them. So he says, you heard this from us and you received the word of God. And then the second thing he says is, you welcomed it. You welcomed, then skip a little bit because the rest of it is just explaining it. You welcomed the word, you welcomed it as the word of God. And you see that after it says, not as the word of men, but as it is in truth, the word of God. That's all just expanding on the thought, but the underlying thought is you received the word of God and you welcomed the word of God. Now that was cause, that was the cause for praying to God with his heart of thanksgiving and doing it with this continual regularity. As Paul observed this happening in their lives, you received and and you welcomed the Word of God. Now received, some people actually have the opinion that the two words are not different. They're the same word. And it's a little bit tricky when you look at the... I don't, I don't speak Greek myself, but when I'm looking at the Greek helps and looking at the Greek side of this, those two words do have a little bit of a nuanced difference though, so I wouldn't agree with the opinion that it's just re- repeating the same idea. There, it's one idea in general, but there's two different aspects to it. Now this word received in the Greek language, it means to hear or recognize something as authoritative. So to hear something or to recognize that it's coming from a place of authority, just to, to be aware, cogniz- cognizant, to, you know, to be mentally you can, make, you can hear something you can say, that seems to be something different than what I've heard before. I don't sense that this is something that is the normal human speak that I'm used to. That sounds unique and different, and in the context here, that is divine. That is coming from God. But the focus on the word, though, is on outwardly listening to or hearing something. And the first, step, the first step involves being willing to consider what was said. And so that's the idea of this word received is they listened to something that they sensed was authoritative with a willingness to consider the truth of what was said. Is this true or not? To consider, to really contemplate what was being said. Now we move to the word welcome. The word welcome involves internally accepting something as a personal belief. So it's the next step. They're all part of the same process. I, willing, I w- had a willingness to consider what is being said or to sense that there's something maybe authoritative here. You couldn't have gotten saved if, if there weren't these two steps. One, that somebody would speak. God's truth to you or God could reveal himself through his Word. Somehow you had to have access to God's truth. Then the second part of it, you had to be willing to hear it, to hear out the person who was telling you this, to have that softness. And that's what we pray for softness in people that we would communicate the gospel with, that they would be soft to the message, that they would be, what else do we pray for? That they would be open to the message of the gospel. God is wanting that too. God is working on that. The spirit of God is working to draw people to himself. God wants everyone to be saved. But he's not forcing on it, it on them. But yet at the same time, he's calling out to them. He's saying, would you respond? Would you respond? He's showing them himself, even by virtue of nature, through their conscience that is inside of them, so that no man is without No man has any excuse. Every man is without excuse in terms of why they would reject God's calling. As God is saying, believe in me, trust in me, look at me. There's something bigger than you. You are not the center of the universe. I am. Would you put your faith in me? You are hopeless. But I am infinitely powerful and I made a way for you. You are on your way to destruction, but I have given you a way of rescue where you can be on your way to heaven they have to be willing you can't make people willing you pray that they would be open you pray that they would be willing to hear and to listen and to consider but welcoming now talks about the next step so if somebody had to say it you had to be willing to hear it then you had to believe it you had to internalize it you had to make a decision to say I'll put my confidence in this I'll be persuaded that this is true I'll accept that this is true. And so the verb emphasizes personal appropriation. And that's really, like I said, that's really the third step. It's like, it's like now welcoming this into your home. That's where this word is translated welcome because it involves embracing something and taking it into your home. That's where the word is used in other contexts. So what a nice way of thinking about the gospel message you have to hear it, you have to be open to it and receive it or see that there's something maybe unique about it, but then you have to welcome it into your home, so to speak. You have to be convinced personally, personally believe in it and appropriate it by faith. That's how it becomes now tied to you directly instead of just something that's out there available, but it hasn't been Grabbed hold of you, haven't accepted it. That's why that we love the language here. We talk about it often in our church about Ephesians 2 8 and 9. We love the language the description of grace, though, as a gift that is either accepted or, re- or rejected. You receive a gift or you say, No, I don't want it. In Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8, if you don't know it, it says, For by grace means God's riches at Christ's expense, God giving us unmerited favor. By grace you have been saved. Saved from what? Saved from a hell you deserve. To heaven you don't. By what? What was the mechanism? By faith. Meaning you trusted and you accepted, you believed. It's a synonym for believe. You believed in what God said about his plan of rescue and that you couldn't save yourself. That you could do absolutely nothing to save you. Your church couldn't save you. Your rituals couldn't save you. Only your acceptance of what Christ had done could save you. So you've been saved through faith. If you're not sure about how you've been excluded from, How works have been excluded. It says it's not of works. So you've been saved by faith, not of works, lest any man should boast. It's, oh no, it says it's not of yourself, it's a gift of God that's not of works. So that's where we like that imagery of a gift. Gifts have to be freely given and freely received. So God extends an offer to you. He says, here it is, but will you take hold of it? Now in the context here we're talking about he extended through the witness of people, he extended his truth through the witness of Paul and his fellow missionaries. He extended the the message of the truth of the word of God. He offered it to them as a gift and they were given an opportunity then to consider it and decide, am I going to respond to this in faith and welcome this into my life, put my trust in this. So it's a gift of God. It's not of works, lest any man should boast. So you either receive it or you reject it. So that's our word for welcoming. And as you think about welcoming something into your home, I touched on it earlier, but the preaching of God's truth has no personal value unless it's practically appropriated by the hearer. Just hearing truth isn't any good. Just being interested in the truth and bringing it into your home without believing it isn't any good. Having believed it once, but now not continuing to trust it and depend on it and rest in it and be guided by it and be led and directed by it and to find our bearing in it, that is useless too. So now you have this great treasure that is God's Word that is in your home You've welcomed it in. You put your trust in Jesus Christ. You're now a child of God, and He's given you all the direction you need for your life. And it's like saying, Good enough. I'm saved. Good enough. That's all I need to know. Now I just live for myself. A gal described that. I heard this the other day. She said, Oh, I'm saved, but I'm just living in the world. To some degree, so are each and every one of us. To some degree. But what a screwy mentality. I'm saying this to you now, not her. I'm saying this to me now, not you. What a screwball mentality. The one who loved us and gave himself for us, the price that was paid was so great, we judge thus that if one died for all, then all what? All died. So we should no longer live for self, but for the one who loved us and gave himself for us. So we have that word welcome though. And that's what Paul is celebrating. He's thanking God for that as he thinks about these believers. He's saying, you heard this, you received it, meaning you were open to the message, and then you welcomed it into your homes. Now welcomed what? Of course, I've been talking about it at length. We can go through it quickly. The word of God. It identifies here what was accepted or inherited. That word also involves that you inherited something. So they recognized and accepted the gospel as a, as the word of God himself, they realized that this wasn't the product of debatable human wisdom. This message, this word of God, which started with the message of who Jesus is and what he has done for sinners, how he died and was buried and rose again the third day to pay a debt he didn't owe, but pay for sins that you and I had committed, which had caused us to be estranged from God, separated from God by our sin. It caused us to have a debt though that was to be forever separated from God unless something could be done about our sin. And so the message started with the good news gospel message how Jesus Christ had broken down that barrier of sin that was separating a sinful man from a holy and righteous God through his sacrifice on our behalf as he took that sin and he bore those sins in his own body on Calvary's tree. And as he died, was buried, and rose again he paid the full debt that was owed by, for you and for me. So that if the debt was satisfied, we now could have access to God, but only if we would appropriate or have the blood applied to our sin, to our debt, so that our debt could be paid. See, the sin was paid for, the payment was made, the payment is available, but the payment hasn't been applied to every single person because the condition of it is, will you accept The payment that's been made available by faith alone, by grace alone in the finished death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Will you trust in that? So that was the message. The original message, as you think about the Word of God, it started with the Word or the message of the Gospel. And then Paul taught them many other things about God's truth. Now, some of those things had already been revealed in Old Testament Scriptures, which is a part of God's Word. God says that every word of scripture is breathed by himself directly through human instruments so that there's not one single word of God that isn't inspired by him. He says all scripture is given by the inspiration of God and all of it we're going to see in a moment is profitable, it's useful. And so as you think about that, actually I cut that part out so we won't see that in a moment. That'll have to be a whole other study. I had two pages of things on that just couldn't fit it in this morning. But one of the things was God's word is profitable, it's useful, it's beneficial to you. Now it says it's profitable for what? For doctrine. Reproof, correction, instruction in righteousness that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly furnished unto every good work. It's profitable. God's word is profitable. So, It's profitable to save your soul, but it's profitable to give you salvation in time from the power of sin to rule over your life, the sin nature, the attack of Satan, the attack of the world's way of thinking. God is still in the process of giving you victory in life over those challenges if you're His child. We call that progressive or practical sanctification. You were positionally declared to be set apart the moment you put your faith in Jesus Christ. That occurred at a point in time in the past when you accepted God's gift of eternal life. You were now made God's child. You were placed in God's family. You were sealed with the Holy Spirit. That was positionally how you were no longer longer associated with Adam, but you're now put in Christ and identified with Christ. Christ's righteousness clothed you and you were viewed now as being in a right standing with a holy God on the basis of Christ's righteousness which was now credited to your account and he says nothing, nothing, nothing can separate you from my love. That was a fixed reality at the point you decided to accept Jesus Christ. But then he talks about this practical sanctification. Now that you are God's child, does God force you to live in a sanctified way all the time? answer is no. Does God force you to live in a manner that's consistent with who you are in Christ? The answer is no, he doesn't force you to do that. He wants you to now live a life that would bring him honor and glory, that would lift him up, that would be a positive reflection on him, that would fulfill the mission that he's assigned you, which is to be a faithful ambassador for Jesus Christ. But does he make you do that? No, does he provide every blessing and every, every blessing that is necessary and every, every equipment that would be necessary for you to do that? And the answer is yes. We've been thoroughly furnished. We've been given everything that pertains to a life of godliness we've been blessed with everything that was necessary but do we have to does he force us to avail ourselves of it or take advantage of it the answer is no so as we live this life he, know, he promises that one day we will be in the future we will be glorified we'll be freed from the very presence of sin God will complete and finish this work that he started in us it will come to a head we'll be given a new body that is consistent then with a sin free existence that we'll have in heaven well,, that's guaranteed to everyone who is in Christ, who has put their faith in Christ, but this section of time where we're still alive here on Earth, this we have to choose. Are we going to appropriate and avail ourselves of the power source that God has put in us in the form of His Spirit so that we could live lives that would bring God honor and glory and have victory over the influence of our sin nature, have victory over the influence of the world, have victory over the influence of Satan and the satanic attack in our lives? Would we avail ourselves of God's power and God's resources that we could live a set-apart, sanctified life here in time? Would we do that? It's not guaranteed though. But God is wanting to produce that outcome in our lives. He wants to use his word to bring that about in our lives. And that's when he talks about them welcoming or bringing this into their lives. He's not talking just about the initial message of salvation. He's talking about the message about how do we walk? How do we live our lives in a manner that is dependent on God's provision, dependent on God's power, dependent on God's direction to work and undertake in our lives in a way that our lives could redeem the time that's available and could please God. Could be lives that would be acceptable to Him. Well, that would only be true if we're trusting Him. We're relying on His Word. We're being directed by His Word. We're being directed by His truth so that He could work in our lives. That He could convince us day in and day out Again and again, day in and day out, that we would, that this truth is from a divine source, that this truth is more valuable than anything else we have access to. That this isn't man's thinking. This is God's divine viewpoint that is provided to us in his word. And would we appropriate that? Now look at this verse here because you think about our mission. It says that we received, he's saying you received the word of God and you welcomed the word of God. But what, how did they get a hold of it? He says, which you heard from us. Which you heard from us. How would anybody respond to God's truth, this divine message of hope that is found in God's word, this message of rescue, message of reconciliation, this message of man is helpless apart from God's provision to undertake to meet his needs? How could they understand, how could people hear that message if it weren't for faithful missionaries, people who are willing to communicate God's light and shine his light into the lives of other people that they come into contact with? The other thing I want you to notice is that there was an alternative. He's celebrating and he's thanking and he's grateful to God that these believers responded by receiving and welcoming God's Word into their lives, but they could have rejected it. In fact, as you think about your own life, more often than not, the message of God's truth is rejected. God's Word is not held up as the standard that we're going to decide our lives by? Young people, when you're making decisions and you're doing your own thing, are you considering that God has a different plan for your life? Middle-aged people, when you're doing your own thing, and you're justifying it, and you have all of these different tricks that you've come up with to feel okay with the fact that you're not doing what God has directed in His Word as beneficial for you and as something that would please Him. When you're not doing it, and you've come up with all of these creative ways of living with yourself and justifying it and somehow sweeping it under the rug, and you're just not going to make a change. You're not going to let God produce something different in your life. You're just going to cling to these habits and these patterns and these choices that you've made, and you will not, you will not let God make changes. How are you justifying that? What, what is your thinking like when you're doing that over and over again? And it's not just you. I'm doing the same things in my life. We are so goofy at times when we know that God has something different from our lives, and we just will not trust Him and get out of the way. Older people, we picked on the young people and the middle-aged people. You're just as bad. I saved you for last. You're the worst. No. (laughs) Some of you have had a lot more practice with sugarcoating things and sweeping things under the rug and justifying this, that, and the other thing. Things that, in fact, are directly contrary to God's Word. And you have all kinds of reasons for why it's okay and why you're just not going to change. It's not too late. You're still alive. God's been wanting to make those changes. He's been wanting to. He still wants to. He says, I will make those changes if you'll let me. Will you let me do that? It all comes back to, though, is God's word going to be the thing that's going to influence me? We talked about you're welcoming these things into your life. Welcome this into your life a little bit more in a way where you're actually open to allowing God's word and his viewpoint to permeate our thick skulls so that he can bring about some changed thinking and once he changes our thinking he'll change our lives he'll transform our lives when we can be renewed by this and get this into our thinking i was thinking about this the other day one of the things that we struggle the most with is that very often when our thinking is wrong when it's false thinking we have actually convinced ourselves that it's right thinking And so the reason it's difficult to make a change is because we've already convinced ourselves that what we're thinking is in fact true. So in fact, when you talk to a person like this, they're very genuine and very authentic and very passionate about their viewpoint because they're convinced it's true. In fact, they're some of the most sincere people that you could could meet. They're extremely sincere in their belief about whatever it is that they've convinced themselves about. So it's hard to deal with because... You you have to break down the fact that this thing that they think is true, that they're passionate about, sometimes it's the only thing they've ever known, something that they're very again sincere about, that it's in fact not true. And I was I was I wish I had this example a little bit better, but it really hit me hard at camp, at senior high camp, because we had a little incident. This is a fun incident, not a not like incident. Ooh. <laughs> Isn't it funny how if somebody says incident, you're like more eager to hear about something? Okay. (laughs) We naturally go to the negative on things. It was a positive incident. It was funny. What happened was there was a girl who was wearing a shirt. I believe the shirt was, I'm going to get this wrong. This is what wrecks the story is when you don't have your details straight. I I think the shirt was like a light gray, bluish gray. But the girl who was wearing it, somehow it came up in a conversation. Somebody said, I like your blue shirt or your gray shirt or whatever. And they said, it's a brown shirt. My shirt's brown. And that counselor thought that was kind of funny. So they asked a few people around there, what color do you think this shirt is? And the counselor started getting mixed responses. Some were saying the shirt is brown and some were saying the shirt was bluish gray. May not be the right colors, okay? Don't like f- fixate on that. <laughs> and so then he, he came up to me before one of the meals. You know, during the meals we will do different games and stuff while they're eating or whatever. He said, he said, uh, you know, this would be funny. Like, let's take a poll for the whole camp. <laughs> and so we stood her up and said, who thinks that this shirt is brown? a bunch of people raised their hands. Who thinks the shirt is bluish gray? A majority of people, a a bigger majority, a significant majority, thought it was bluish gray. Now, you already know where the story's going. The gal's colorblind. But so were a bunch of other people that were there (laughs) who thought this was brown, and many of them had never even heard of what colorblind was. So we kind of ruined their lives. It's like I had gone through, I had gone through like 17 years of life not knowing I had this indentation in my right ear here. Literally, nobody had ever told me I had never noticed it. And someone was kind enough one day to say, Hey, you got a dent in that one ear. (laughs) And my life has never been the same. But here's what I'm getting at. This is, this is a really important point because it hit me so hard, not at the moment. It was just funny at the moment. I didn't think anything really of it. But as I thought about it more and more, I, I've been struggling a little bit with dealing with people who are just 100% convinced that they're right, but they're 100% wrong. And you see this in our culture today, right? It could be about any number of different topics, where the reason that they can't respond to truth is because they are 100% convinced that what they're experiencing is true. And that example jumped out at me a week or so later or two weeks later, and I'm like, that's the exact way to explain or understand what it is that they're going through. That girl, the only thing she had ever known was that when she would see certain colors that were in fact bluish gray, she, all she ever saw was brown. Brown. she was 100% convinced that, that was what she was seeing was true, what she was perceiving was true, because to her, that's what she, what she saw. Because she was 100% convinced that that's what she was seeing, she was extremely sincere in her belief that what represented that color to her was in fact brown. Extremely passionate in her perspective, that that is what's true. And in some ways, until somebody could love her enough to ruin her life, (laughs) but somebody had to notice that her thinking on this topic was wrong, even though it was sincerely held, only thing she had known and authentic to her, it still was wrong and had to prove it to her by showing her that the vast majority of people, an overwhelming majority of people, know that your perception of things here is incorrect. And I'm probably not doing justice to that, but I I hope you're seeing what a useful example that is. People can be as sincere as they want about anything they want. But it doesn't make them right. It just makes them what? Sincerely wrong. And we don't change the standard of what's true. The color of her shirt is bluish gray. Period. Full stop. It doesn't matter what her perception of that color is. It doesn't make it true. It just makes it her flawed perception. God's truth is not flexible. God sets out what is true and He says, this is the only thing that's true because I'm the only one who's true. So we don't find our truth in life experiences or perception. That's just life experience and perception. We find our truth in the source of truth, the word of truth, which is God's word. So let every Word of God, let every let let every word of God be true, and every man a a liar. Just because it's just because they are convinced of it doesn't make it true in any event. really valuable point as we think about the Word of God and welcoming that into our life and having that be the standard that we're going to insist on going back to. Now, too many of us think we're doing that and we're not doing that because you have, each, each and every one of you has deeply held views and beliefs and convictions about different things. And often, as often as not, I would actually say, as often as not, they're not actually informed by a direct principle, or passage from God's word. They're just your deeply held beliefs and convictions that are a part of your culture and your upbringing and your perspective too. We have to challenge ourselves and to ask ourselves, where did this thing or this idea that I have that so, I'm so passionate about, where did I get that from? And instead of cherry picking some verse completely out of context and trying to use that to support that perspective, what does God's word actually say about it? We know that we shouldn't do that. We know what we shouldn't use the the word of God pretextually, meaning taking things out of context, not considering how that scripture lines up with other scripture. We know we shouldn't do that. We We won't allow anybody to do that as it relates to core doctrines like the gospel and eternal security, but we'll do it as it relates to all these other kind of wonky ideas that we get. And I've seen that with believers. You ask them about some belief that they're preaching to everyone that will listen. Where are you finding that in God's word? Usually they don't know. If they do know, it's some kind of a passage that they're completely stripping of context and twisting for their own ends. So we're guilty of that. That is something that can happen if, we're so, if we, put our, we come to our conviction first and then we try to support it from God's word second. We have to be focused on God's word first so that God's word can produce the convictions second. The order matters, people, As I think about my own thinking in my own life, the order matters. God's word is supposed to lead me to have convictions and and perspectives, not the other way around. We have to keep moving here. What is the value of receiving or welcoming God's word in your life? This is a very important part of this verse. It says that when you did that, that word of God, it worked effectively in you who believe. It worked effectively or it effectively works in you who believe. And you think, what a great promise that is. As I take in the Word of God, as I welcome it into my life, as I'm willing to accept it and trust it, then it can work. It can have effective work in my life. And biblically, God's efforts to transform believers and generally undertake in the human realm are referred to in terms of God working. We call this to some extent, it's personification where we're applying human qualities or human ideas to God, but that's how the Bible makes it so that we can understand it. God is working in our lives. And here's just a few quick examples of how that language is what God uses about how God is working. But here he's saying, God, this is just how God works, generally speaking. And now in our context, he's talking about God working through his word. But Galatians two eight, he says, for he who worked effectively in Peter, this is Paul talking, for the apostleship to the circumcised, to the Jew, also, worked effectively in me for this mission that Paul was given to focus his ministry on the Gentiles, but God is the one working effectively in him. Philippians 1 6 says, Being confident of this very thing, that he who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ, the good work that God is doing in our lives. Colossians 1.29, there were others. I cut them out for time, so obviously it didn't help. But Colossians 1.29, to this end, I also labor, striving according to his working, which works in me mightily. And you think about what a nice reminder that is. That is why the Bible, when it's correctly understood, always keeps the focus on God and his provision for mankind it always puts the focus on how God can produce in and through us through the power of His Spirit a way of living, a a way of behaving, a way of speaking that would bring Him honor and glory. Now, one instrument, so generally God's working in our lives, but one instrument or vehicle that God works through is His Word. And we see that here. The Word of God, it transforms lives. Not human philosophy or self-help programs. God's Word is what can transform lives. And this is possible because God's Word is alive. God's word is powerful. That's how he can change lives with his word. Hebrews 4.12 is familiar to most of you for the word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit and of joints and marrow and is the discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart, meaning God's word is so powerful because it's alive. It can change our lives. It can cut to the very core of who we are and what we're thinking and it can change our thinking. And by changing our thinking, it can change our lives. It also, the word of God works to produce spiritual growth in our lives. That's what he's talking about here when he says that the word of God is effectively working in you who believe. 1 Peter 2.2 2 says, As newborn babes desire the pure milk of the word, for what reason? That you may grow thereby, so that you can grow, desire God's word. James 1.21 says, Therefore lay aside all filthiness and overflow of wickedness, King James says superfluity of naughtiness. My favorite phrase in, in the New Testament in terms of just where would you ever hear that. Superfluity of naughtiness. That's you. Superfluity of naughtiness. Lay that aside and receive with what? Meekness. What? The implanted word. Now what is it capable of doing? Saving your souls. Who did he write this to? Believers. He's not talking about first tense salvation here. He's talking about providing salvation over the power and the influence of sin in your daily lives so you think about how god wants to work and change and transform us through his word but what does it require it says you have to believe in you who believe who will be who will be having this the word of god effectively work in them it says in you who believe that's who But the condition, there's a condition here. You have to believe. And believe is present tense, active voice, meaning God's not making you believe. The subject you is producing the action, meaning you are choosing to believe and trust, take God at his word. And if it's present tense, it means that this is your present state of action. You're doing this right now. It's an ongoing, continuing thing in your life. So the focus is on their present state of faith that they're presently believing when they're presently believing what's happening. God's transformation is taking place in their lives but only because they're presently trusting Him. See, God doesn't force you to be transformed. God doesn't force you to be practically sanctified. But He never stops pursuing His children in love. He, your initial or their initial acceptance of the message that Paul presented was an act of faith. And then they continued in the same faith as the word of God continued its work in them. That's what Paul's saying was happening in their lives. Now, for the sake of time, we're going to have to just paraphrase the end of this. But what was the evidence or what was the result or the proof, if you will say, to Paul that God was working in their lives? that they were present tense right now, that they were actively still believing in God's truth and in God's word, that they were being directed by that. The evidence is found in verses 14 through 15. The evidence was that they became imitators of the churches of God which are in Judea. Now, what did that involve? They became imitators of them in the sense that they endured suffering for the sake of Jesus Christ. You see more of that in verses 15 and 16, where it says, What was the. They're, they're facing the same kind of persecution that the Jewish believers faced by the Judean Jew, Jews that were persecuting them. But what. He, he describes some of that. What did they do? Well, they persecuted us. They do not please God and are contrary to all men. That's the opposition. They forbid us to speak to the Gentiles that they may be saved. Why, what's causing them to behave that way? So the two main things are they persecute us and they forbid us to speak. And Paul is seeing that this is happening to the Thessalonian believers through their community too. And that's not the Jewish community. It's They're, they're facing this where they live too. It may, it may have been in part by the Jewish community, but also in part by the other unbelievers in their Gentile unbelievers in their community. And you think about that. The Bible says that all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. So that's how Paul knew that they were taking this in, that God was producing change and growth and transformation in their life, because he saw them now suffering for their faith. Will you need to suffer for your faith if you have none? No. Will Satan need to be singling you out and focusing his attention on sidelining you if you 've already set yourself out on the sideline and are doing nothing for Jesus Christ? If you already aren't trusting the Lord, if you're already walking in your own wisdom and your own strength, if you're already acting like you're an unbeliever, living in Adam still even though you're a child of God, does Satan need to bother with you? No. He has to focus his attention on the people who are desiring to live for the Lord and serve the Lord. So he could see this happening in their lives. And then you think about examples of being forbidden to speak. You probably remember in Acts chapter 5, the apostles were arrested. They were beaten. They said, didn't we tell you not to speak the name of Jesus? So they beat him again. And then they released him because they were scared of an uprising, but they released them, And what did the apostles do after being beaten? They left there, it said, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer for Jesus Christ, See, that was the evidence. That was the evidence that God was, in fact, bringing about this transformation in the lives of these believers who had received God's word and had welcomed it into their lives. Well, there's other things I was going to say, but we're going to close for the sake of time. You think about welcoming God's word, though. There are all kinds of things that you can allow in your life you can be influenced by in your life, you can welcome into your life. And most of those things that you could welcome into your life, they have zero capacity or potential for contributing positively to your spiritual health. Think about all of the things that you allow into your life. You allow to have an influence on you. Most of them cannot, they have no capacity for positively influencing your spiritual well-being. But God wants you to welcome his word into your life. Because that is the thing that can transform. When you accept and embrace His Word, it transforms you. It produces positive spiritual results in, its, in your life. It causes you to grow. And that only happens though when you're presently trusting God's Word. You receive it, bring it into your home, but now you actively appropriate by faith God's Word. You let God's Word direct your life. And the Thessalonian believers, they were experiencing this firsthand. And that was a cause for celebration on Paul's part. So how about you? Do you think about God's work in other believers' life? Do you celebrate when you see God working in their life, when you see them even suffering or facing some pushback, some opposition, some persecution, some people saying, don't talk about Jesus anymore? When you see that happening in other people's lives, do you celebrate that and thank God for that? Are you going to welcome God's word into your life because you actually want him? to change you, the thought I want you to leave with this morning is think about all the things that you've been resisting and refusing to let God change in your priorities, in your thinking, in your behavior, in your words, in your speech, in, your, in every aspect of the way that you exist. Think about the things that you have just, you will not let the Lord have his way with. And then pray about it. Say, Lord, soften me. Make me open to the transforming effect of your word. Get me into your word. Help me to prioritize even the times that are a blessing that I have available to come and hear God's word. Help me to prioritize fellowshipping with other believers around God's word. Help me when I get together with people to meditate and converse around God's word instead of all these other things that couldn't possibly encourage or lift up or transform or promote spiritual growth in people's lives. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for this time we could spend here together. Pray for your upcoming camps starting on Saturday that you'd undertake there. Pray that we would have hearts that want to let you make changes in our life. Pray that we would be welcoming your word practically in our day-to-day lives, that we'd be focused on it, that we would see that that's the way that we can have renewed minds and minds that would be thinking appropriately and focused on the right things. Thank you for your great love with which you loved us in Jesus.